into our fourth lesson now in the uh, book of Ephesians. And yes, I am repping the Cardinals today, celebrating 10 wins in a row. And you may be watching this sometime in the future. And so this will go as a, a tribute to the posterity of their brilliant run in September of 2021, uh, regardless of when you're watching this, celebrating the fact that they're making a strong push for the playoffs. So, all right. Uh, and if you're a Cubs fan, um, Jesus still loves you, but, uh, but you and I might have problems. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, Ephesians, we're in chapter three, and we've been talking about Paul's encouragement to the Christians in Ephesus. And what we'll deal with today has a lot to do with what was going on in Ephesus at the time in the first century. Ephesus is a port city, uh, and uh, it's in modern-day Turkey. And the uh, port cities, uh, where there would have been about a quarter million people uh, at the time of this writing, uh, port cities were a, 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 a melting pot because people are coming in and out from all different places in the world. And that means that that uh, coming with them are a lot of different faiths, a lot of different religions, a lot of different ideas uh, about culture and, and things like that, politics and all of that. And the church there was facing this great wave of culture, the worship of false gods, the worship of, of, of even alternate forms of Christianity or alternate forms of, of that faith where they would deny the divinity of Christ, or maybe they had worship that involved um, the, the you know, very uh, debaucherous uh, practices, uh, particularly those of, of a sexual nature, sexual immorality, a lot of worship of Diana, uh, goddess of fertility, and, and, and the like. And so uh, there, were, there was a, a, a mighty wave uh, of, of the culture buffeting the, these... Christians against the the rocky shoals, if you will, of of this world, and Paul is writing to encourage them in that regard. Now he speaks in chapter three about his mission and his God given mission to share the gospel with the Gentiles, and he talks a lot about this mystery that's been revealed. It was a secret in times past; it was something that was not yet revealed, but in the time of Christ, it's revealed, and so he is going forth to carry that light to those in the darkness. And we go to verse 11, and the reason he's doing this, because it was in accordance, he says, with the eternal purpose which was carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Paul is adamant, and he repeats this throughout all of his letters, that what we have in Christ comes through faith. It comes through faith in him. In Jesus. Therefore, verse 13, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. He's saying, hey, I, I've been going through a tough time. I, I have to fight uh, and battle against the, the forces of evil and persecution, but don't let that dishearten you. Don't let my trouble cause you trouble. Uh, this is for you, and it is to your glory. You can be proud of this. You can be uh, uplifted by the fact that I will suffer so much in order to carry out the gospel, in order to get to you, in order to share with you. And he says in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power, 
through his spirit in the inner man. Okay, we're going to stop there for a minute. I know the, the, the verse goes on because Paul does that a lot. He, he never knows quite where to put a period because he didn't use them. That's our invention. But he says, so because of all this, because I have been given this task, and because I'm willing to suffer on behalf of you, I am on my knees in prayer constantly for you to God. And he says there, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. We are all who we are because of God. We are all what we are because of God, because of his creation, his protection, and his love. And he says, I'm on my knees praying that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Paul's saying, things may not get better. Things may not get easier. Things are going to be hard. He's admitting that in, in that. As encouraging a verse as it is, we have to look at what the underlying context is. And he's saying, I can't promise you that all of this trouble is going to go away. I can't promise you that life's going to get easier. I can't promise you there'll be less persecution. I can't promise you that there'll be less false teachers and people confusing and dividing and destroying. But what I can do is pray that God, because of his amazing power and because of his glory and, and the, 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 um, the absolute abundance of those things, he's saying that uh, I'm praying that he will strengthen you with his spirit in the inner man. The outside might still be trouble, but God can give you peace and strength inside, in your spirit, in your heart. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I'm praying for you to have strength, Paul says, and, and to have an open heart so that Christ can dwell there. This world may absolutely just fall apart and crumble, but God through his strength and through faith can put Christ inside of you and his spirit inside of you and it can dwell in you. Isn't that a wonderful thought? No matter what goes on in this world, no matter what trouble we face, no matter what pain we endure, we still have a dwelling place for Christ. We still have a dwelling place for the Spirit. Now, you know, my personal preference is that we live in a land that is peaceful, that we live in a land of abundance, that we live in a land of freedom, that we can have the freedom to express our faith, that we can share it with others, and that we would live in a land that is vastly populated by people of faith. That's what I want. But I may never get that. Um, I've been fortunate to live in the United States of America my entire life. I've been fortunate to live in this country during a time that has been relatively easy. Now, I know I know people uh, of my generation have experienced, uh, well, the things that other generations experience. Every generation has that moment, that, that event uh, in life that uh, shakes them, rattles them. Uh, when people, if you watch documentaries and, and read about like the assassination of John F. Kennedy, for um, the baby boomers, the late ba baby boomers, those born in the 50s or, or, or what have you, uh, they will point to that event as the event uh, that sort of took their innocence, that, that changed the world in their eyes. Because up to that point, the world was a pretty nice place. And then you have this evil act a killing of a, of of a, a leader, someone who was well well liked um, in certain circles, but that event 
precipitated uh, the demise of the innocence of a generation. And following behind that, you had the assassination of Martin Luther King, you had the civil rights movement, you had a lot of unrest with regard to that. You had the assassination of Robert Kennedy, and then you had Vietnam and all of the unrest that that caused and the social upheaval that that caused. And then you have Watergate, and you have scandal and, and, and all the things associated with that. And then the next generation experiences those things as well. Uh, for my generation, I point to, you know, our Kennedy assassination was 9-11. Was uh, I was in the, oh goodness, 10th grade, I guess, and um, I watched it happen live on TV. You know, uh, this, this year, celebrating the 20th anniversary of 9-11, my children, my older children, have asked me questions about it for the first time. And I finally feel like an old person saying, oh, yes, I remember when that, when that happened. Um, and that changed my perception of the world. Nothing was peaceful after that. Nothing was, was simple. It was pretty ugly. Um, my generation is the generation that witnessed that. And we're also the generation whose friends uh, died over there in, in, in various wars and battles. Um, I'm part of a generation that has now experienced a couple of economic recessions. I'm part of a generation that has experienced natural disaster. Part of a generation that is currently experiencing, again, social upheaval and, and questions about justice and civil rights. And part of a generation that is enduring this uh, pandemic, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. So, uh, but every generation has that. You know, and sometimes we think we are unique and we think that, you know, we're the only ones. But every generation is going to have that moment that changes their life, that, um, that alters their view of the world. And we're not promised that this is going to be a place of freedom and peace and prosperity. We kind of get used to the idea that it is, um, but we're not promised that. In fact, the great current of this world is contrary to those concepts. The great current of this world leans toward oppression. It leans toward injustice. It leans toward war. It leans toward death. What we've lived in here in the United States in the last hundred years or more has been an absolute anomaly in world history. And we'd like it to continue. I certainly would. But I'm not promised that. What I am promised is that if I put my faith in Jesus Christ, that he will dwell in me, that God's spirit will dwell in me, that he will give me peace, that he will give me strength. If, if we suddenly turn in, and we're, sometimes it feels like we're not far off, if we suddenly turn into a version of the Hunger Games uh, in this country, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to want to protect my family and care for those I love. But, but Jesus is still real. He's still alive. He's still active. My faith in him can remain unshaken, and my perseverance and my strength can be, can be grounded in that truth. Look what Paul says here, that he wants us to be strengthened with, or he wants the Ephesians, but by extension us, to be strengthened with power through his spirit, Jesus' spirit, in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. What a beautiful prayer that Paul is praying for the Ephesians. What a beautiful prayer that we can pray. 
Now, I, did, I just said all that about peace and prosperity and where, the kind of world I want to live in, knowing that it may not be the case, knowing that that may not be the world I find myself in. And that's okay, um, because I can be rooted and grounded in Christ. I can be rooted and grounded in knowledge of him. But what word does Paul use there? What is it that roots us? What is it that grounds us? What is it that anchors us to have peace beyond what this world can offer? To have strength, even in times of tumult and trouble. What is it? Is it the law? Is it the rules? Is it the obedience? Is it the church? No, it's love. It's love. He, Paul is praying that these Ephesians will be rooted and grounded in love. Now, we don't think of that as a prescription for the things that ail this world. We think of getting on Facebook and blasting out our, uh, our frustrations with the world around us. We think about... Um, voting a certain way. We think about uh, proclaiming certain things and, and, and whatnot. But what Paul says is, hey, you're living in some hard times. You're living in a difficult world. And I'm praying for you that you will keep your eyes focused on God, that he will dwell in you, and that your faith in Christ will see you through and give you a strength. And that strength, that power, that perseverance, it's going to be rooted in love because God is love. In our study on the book of Revelation, which uh, if you're watching this you know, contemporaneously, you can, you can see that on YouTube and Facebook. But if you want to go back and look at the Revelation lessons, they're archived there on YouTube and, and through our website as well, MonroeChurchOfChrist.org. But you'll notice that when in the letter to the Ephesians that's in Revelation, one of the seven churches, this is a big theme that your strength in combating the world around you, your strength in fighting against this wave of culture that is seeking to destroy God's people, your strength and perseverance is going to be from rediscovering your love. The love that God has for you, the love you have for him, and the love you have for those around you. Rooted and grounded in love. Why? So that you can be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length, and the height, and the depth, so that you can comprehend the full picture. You can't see the full picture of God's glory unless you have love. It's an amazing common theme throughout Scripture. To me, it lends credence to the idea that this is inspired, that the Bible is not just some made-up thing or something that's been concocted by people over the centuries. I, I firmly believe that what we read in Scripture is the inspired Word of God. I believe that it is inspired writing. I believe the Spirit and God himself had a, had a hand in getting it to us. And I believe that in part because of the consistency of the message. Here's Paul writing in the middle part of the first century. And, and in Revelation, for instance, you'll see John writing at the end of the first century. And yet you'll see this common theme. Overcoming this world requires... Faith in Jesus Christ that is grounded in love. It is love that has the power to overcome evil. It is love that has the power to overcome hate. It is love that has the power to overcome sin. It is love that has the power to overcome division. It is love that has the power to overcome the, the consistent and constant and never-ending beating down of this world on our spirit. Faith in Jesus Christ 
faith expressing itself in love. That's what Paul says is the most important thing, faith expressing itself in love. And here we have love again showing up in Ephesians chapter 3, that if we are rooted in that, if we're grounded in that, if love is everything that motivates us, then Jesus can dwell in us and we can truly understand the full picture. You can't understand. Wouldn't you like to see the full picture? I mean, isn't that the whole point? Don't let your your Christianity, don't let your spirituality, don't let your religion be one-dimensional. Religion's not a bad word. People talk about religion versus spirituality. Like one is just this regimented, organized thing, and one is this free expression from your heart. I don't believe that those things are too far off. I think we've misdefined religion uh, as this regimented thing. But in James, uh, he, he writes about a, a pure and undefiled religion. That's what God wants from us. Religion is a good thing be, when we define it properly because it is a spirituality. It is an expression. It's faith expressing itself in love. It's how we attune our hearts to God. And why would you let that be one-dimensional? Why would you let that remain simple and plain? Let it be fully fleshed out. Let it be developed. Give it height, give it depth, give it breadth, give it length. Give it a full, complete, three-dimensional uh, aspect in your life. The only way you can do that is by love. When we love, we capture the full picture of God's will and the full picture of, the, of, of Christ and the full dwelling of Christ and the Holy Spirit within us. And to know, verse 19, the love of Christ, when we love, the better we love, the more we understand Jesus. And that love, in the rest of verse 19, surpasses knowledge. We don't have the cognitive ability to comprehend how much God loves us through Jesus. That you may be filled up with all, to, to all the fullness of God. The fullest you can get with God, with the Spirit, with the Son, is when you perfect love when you embody love. And I love verse 20 and 21. And we're going to read those as we near our, our, the close of our time. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I want to read that again, okay? Because all of this that Paul has just said, he's talked about the blessings that we have in Christ, of being adopted into a family, of being given an inheritance, of, uh, of being made alive, freed from death in chapter 2. And then Paul goes on to talk in chapter 3 about his mission to share the gospel with the Gentiles and to share the truth with the world and why in that mission he is prayerful for the strength of Christians to be, continue and be steadfast. And he wraps all that thought up in verse 20. Having said all of that about uh, how, to, how to get deeper into Christ and have the spirit deeper within you through love. And then he says this, now to him. Now he's talking, he's saying now to God. Now if you take that as a parenthetical statement, he said he basically saying to God be the glory, right? That 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 would be the very concise way of saying it. He's going to say, proclaim to God be the glory. But listen to how he describes it. Now to him 
who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. That's, that's deep. To God, and he describes God as someone who is able to do well beyond what we even comprehend. The, we, ha, we think we know how God's going to bless us. We think we understand how much God can bless us. We think that we have a grasp on how much God loves us. And Paul says, you don't even know. We don't even have the ability to comprehend it. He says to him, to God, who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. God can bless you in ways that you cannot imagine. God can bless you and love you in ways that you can't fathom. God goes beyond what you're even able to express to him. Think of the deepest and most meaningful thing you've ever asked God for. Think of the deepest and most meaningful connection you've ever felt with God and power from him. He's able to go beyond that more than you can even imagine. To him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us in Christ Jesus. It, the, the power is manifest in Jesus. The power to forgive, the power to erase sin, the power to overcome death, the power to overcome persecution, the power to overcome uh, pain and turmoil and turbulence, the power to give peace and prosperity. All of that power works in us, but it is all manifest in Christ, manifest in Jesus. It doesn't happen without Jesus, Paul says. No, so to God, who can do way more than we can imagine possible to bless us, and in all of his power that works in us, that comes through Christ, to him, verse 21, be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Let us stand as a church, our identity. Remember, that's the theme of this book. We're talking about who we are who we are as Christians. And our identity, Paul says, should be the glorification of God by all that we do in the church and in our speaking and preaching Jesus to others to all generations forever and ever. Amen, or so be it. That's what that word means. It means affirmative, okay? Um, all of that power manifest in love and all of that love through Jesus Christ our identity, our purpose is to demonstrate the glory of God by teaching Jesus and by loving one another. Faith expressing itself in love, that is the point. That is our identity. That's who we are. We're not Ephesians. We're not Romans. We're not Americans. We are Christians. And if this whole world falls apart, if this nation collapses, if we become a third world country, Whatever it is, I will echo the words of Habakkuk because Habakkuk, when told by God that, that the, the evildoers, the Chaldeans, were going to come and they were going to overtake Israel, God's people, he sat and thought about that a while and he responded to God. He said, if the fields are empty, if there's hunger and famine, if there's disease, if the whole nation collapses, I'm still going to serve God. I will still love God. That is my identity. It's nothing more and nothing less than Jesus Christ crucified and faith expressing itself in love to the glory of God the Father.
I hope you'll join us next time as we move into Ephesians chapter 4. We'll see you then.